Good morning, church family. Tell you what, I wish we could get somebody that had a little energy up there to do announcement videos. Thank you, uh, Tara and Miss Claus. Uh, looking forward to some exciting things around Christmas time. I want to ask our uh, scripture leader, Justin Taylor, to come on up here. He's going to be reading our scripture for us today. How, uh, how old are you? Eight. Eight. Eight years old and ready to roll. And uh, I appreciate you doing this, Justin. So go ahead and share with us. John 19:38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. John John. 2019. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among us, among them, and said, Peace be with you. Thank you so very much. Good job. I love seeing young men. Get up and read the scripture. And you know what's really great about it? It gets people sitting on the front row for a little while that uh, don't normally sit here. I just ran Caitlin off. But, uh, but Grant, are you staying? Oh, he he will now. He's like, I guilted him into sitting on the front row. Uh, John, uh, we've been in the book of John. John chapter 19 is where we're going to kick off today. By the way, just, uh, uh, just to say I love, I love the holidays and I love uh, being able to be together and us being able to share in God's Word. really appreciate Tommy's uh, lesson last week on the uh, crucifixion and, uh, uh, and really just how he reminded us exactly what took place there for us. And it was, it's not just a fact of history, but it's something that's live and real for us. So uh, welcome to Washington Road. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you come. And uh, we have folks on the live stream. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, folks in our, other, in, in our other room, glad you're here there in the uh, uh, um, Fellowship Center. And so um, uh, we're going to do a little bit of reading in John chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of mirror and alloys, about 75 pounds. Quite a bit there. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let's talk about this burial for a little bit, and then we'll jump on into the resurrection in in chapter 20 here for just a little bit. I, I love the partnership here of Joseph and Nicodemus. These two guys partner together, both uh, high up in the Jewish religion, 
but both had encountered Jesus and had become to believe in him. And it says this about Joseph, who later on in another text you find out he's, he's a wealthy man, he's a he's prominent man. And Joseph uh, goes and asks, and somehow or another he had enough connections he could approach Pilate for the body. Typically on crucifixions, they just leave those, especially if it was treason, they just left the bodies on the cross and uh, left them out in the open for the vultures to take care of and wouldn't even give them the honor of being buried. Sometimes a family member might come and they would bury him outside in a criminal's grave. But in this particular case, Joseph gets the body. He appeals for the body of Christ. And he partners with Nicodemus. Now it says that Joseph was a disciple, but he had been secret about it or, they, uh, or contained. He kept it under wraps, basically, until now. He goes from fear of the Jews to faith. He makes this move somehow or another, seeing the crucifixion, understanding what Jesus had done. He hadn't seen the resurrection yet, yet yet he makes this bold move. Now I'm going to to be unashamed right out here in public. I'm asking for the body of Christ. And his partner, Nicodemus, joins with him. Now Nicodemus, you remember in John chapter 3, came to came to Jesus with some questions at night. And so uh, he, he finally watches this whole thing all along, and now here he is involved in the burial of Christ. I think about these guys, and I think, what an honor. What an honor for someone they love that's lost for them to participate in his burial. Don't you feel like that? It's an honor for you when you're participating in, 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 in saying goodbye or honoring someone. It's an honor. And they take his body down. And, and obviously, Nicodemus had quite a bit of money, too. 75 pounds of spices and stuff wasn't cheap. Uh, and they carry him to this tomb. I just can't imagine in my mind physically what they had to do to lay him in here and wrap his body with one particular strips of linen and then all of a sudden to cover his face with another and put the one that they had come to believe in in the grave. I love how God uses people and moves people in their growth and their faith. So they take on this effort. Even though in the past they believed and had fear about them, Now they're out in public. No denying it now. They believed in this one called Jesus and loved him. They had great concern. And they wanted to do right by him. So Jesus lays silent in a grave, but he doesn't stay silent very long. The Bible says in the next chapter, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John describes himself, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Now, now this particular John's aspect just deals with her like she's the only one there. But you find out from the other Gospels, there are some other women involved in this process too. Which, by the way, 
when they get accused of making this story up, doesn't make any sense. Because if you were in Jewish uh, days and lived back then, and you were going to make up a story and have it be credible, you wouldn't have women finding out the evidence first. They weren't even allowed to testify in court. Their credibility was no good. That's not who you would choose. That's not how you would write the story if you were trying to design it to, cover, to have a lie about the, the resurrection. But here she is, Mary Magdalene, and she runs and tells Peter, the other disciple, and they started for the tomb. Both were running, John and Peter, but the other disciple outran Peter. Now, I don't know why John chose to say, I'm faster than Peter, but he, but he did. And reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So John beats Peter to the tomb. He looks in, but he doesn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, he still wants everybody to know he's faster for whatever reason, arrived and went into the tomb. That's Peter, right? I mean, he's running behind, but as soon as he gets there, John's looking. He don't bother to look. He's just like, I'm running in there. I'm finding out what's going on here. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, there's John, who had reached the tomb first, we've got to keep emphasizing I'm better, I'm faster than Peter, right? That actually kind of sounds like a conversation between Kyle and Josh that I hear in the office all the time. Who pumped the most weight? Who got there first? Anyway, y'all just mention that to him when you see him. So he goes inside, and here's about John, though. When John sees it, it says, he saw and believed. Now, parentheses, he says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, he sees it and believes it, but he hadn't put it together that Jesus had been teaching them all this time about this. But they still hadn't got it. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And they have taken my Lord away, she said. She didn't get that he'd been risen from the dead either, right? She still thinks somebody stole the body. And I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Now, she's having a conversation, but she don't, she don't quite get it's Jesus. Now, look, she's not really, you, you're going to find out. She must have turned and looked later because, look, here's what happens. Thinking he was the gardener, which makes sense, she was in the garden. She said, since you have, uh, uh, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. 
And on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Let's, let's talk about this just for a little bit. The first characters we see in this story about the barrel is Joseph and Nicodemus. At once they lived in fear. Now all of a sudden their faith is, as a friend of ours used to say, out loud and on purpose, right? Then it moves from that, his burial, into his resurrection. And Mary is on the scene and she thinks the body's stolen. Matter of fact, in the other Gospels, you find out when she goes and tells Peter and those guys, they say, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's a crazy story. And yet, it was, it was, she was able to convince them enough that they decided to get up and run and find out. And so they go, and when they see it empty, they don't instantly believe. Look, they were not all sitting around as disciples with joy saying, oh, he's going to be raised from the dead today. They weren't looking forward to the resurrection. They still didn't get it. Matter of fact, they were a discouraged band of, uh, of guys that just, and all, all of a sudden, now they've traveled three years with this man, more than a man, God in the flesh. They've seen remarkable things, but boy, now it's all come to a screeching halt. And now we're just held up in the house here, afraid of those that killed him. Because why? Well, they may do the same to us. Just a bunch of fearful men. A bunch of scared, fearful men locked in their house. But 49 days later, that will be the group of men who change the world by the message of the resurrection. So Mary... We see her transition from, I, I'm coming and I'm concerned. I want, to, I want to lay the spices. The other women, we want to lay the spices. We want to take care and make sure our, that our teacher is buried properly. And yet the grave is empty. The assumption isn't that he's risen from the dead. The assumption is somebody stole the body. And then she has that moment where Jesus speaks to her. And I love what he asked her. He says, why are you crying and who are you looking for? Jesus. And she found him. Can you imagine? The, just the emotions of the morning, that first day of that week that she went through. Remember a week before he's riding in on a donkey. And, and, and coming into the city, and then just a few hour, a few days earlier, now all of a sudden he's going through trials, and, and, he, and he's betrayed in a garden, he's, he's put on trial, and then he's crucified, and all of a sudden everything just looks terrible. All the way to the moment that she even thinks, how, how much worse can it get after the crucifixion? Uh, now they've even stole his body. And yet all of a sudden she turns and she hears her name Spoke by the creator of the universe. He knows her name. And he knows yours too. So she makes this trip from being concerned and confused. All of a sudden to a moment 
of realization that there is life after death because the one I follow has come out of the ground. And of course, Peter and John, they go through their moments, don't they? They don't believe it when they see it. They weren't expecting it. Matter of fact, Jesus walks through a locked door and appears to them later on, right? And uh, Alan's going to deal with several of his appearances uh, next week in the preaching of this. But, but even he goes and he's going to eat with them. He's going to spend time with them. And they're going to move from men who are locked behind the door, full of fear. And, and, and Jesus is going to take that group of people who see and witness the resurrected Lord and turn them into the disciples and apostles that will start the church in Acts 2. Let me turn to Acts 2. I want to remind you of a verse that's there that, that, Peter, that Peter preaches here in Acts 2. He says, verse 22, Men of Israel, now this is a guy that's behind the locked door scared, right? Now, 49 days later, here he is. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's purpose, set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailed him to the cross. Here's the verse. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because, I love this phrase, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now this goes from a man who looks in and, and can't find the Christ and, and then runs and hides in his house. Now all of a sudden he's the guy in Acts 2 up preaching saying it's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love how God takes men in all their fear and their weakness and turns them into powerful, bold disciples for him. It's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Let's just mention this. It's also because of him, because of the gospel, because it's impossible for death to keep its hold. It's impossible for death to keep its hold on you and on me. This body's coming out of the ground. It is impossible. It is impossible for death to keep its hold on God's children. It's impossible. Men are going to come up and women are going to come up out of the ground who believe in Jesus Christ and who put their faith in the gospel. It's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. There is hope after this old life. Hope. Empty graves. But life, abundant life, with the one that came out of the ground and will come out too. Well, in Acts 17, Paul runs been a group of people in Athens and he's preaching to them about a God that uh, they say there's an unknown God, and he says, let me tell you who this unknown God is. And so he preaches to them in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, the Bible says, 
Paul, talking about God, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead... All right, let's just stop right here for a second. When you hear about the resurrection of the dead, what's your response? That's the question. We all face the reality of it all the time. We don't like to think about it. We like to try to deny it. But I'm not talking about just facing death. I'm talking about when you hear about the resurrection of the dead. Here's their response. Some of them sneered. Or one version I think says mocked. They're like, you can't believe that mess. Why, if you're going to believe that kind of story, why, you might as well throw out your brain. There's a whole host of intellectual people that have somehow or another reasoned themselves right out of their own intelligence of seeing the very facts and the evidence that Jesus' body came out of the ground. Others said, here's, that's one response, here's the others. We want to hear you again on this subject. They said, you know, we need to think about this. We want to. We, we're kind of. We want to inquire more about this. We want to listen to you a little bit more about this. They're not quite there, but they they have an interest in it. And at that, Paul left the council, and a few men became followers of Paul. And here's what they did with it: they believed. So you have those that that laugh at the fact that you would believe in it. You have those that want to think about it a little bit more, and then you have a few that just says, "No, I believe, and I'm following him." I think it's a pretty good question just to say which one of those places do you fall into. Now, if you're going to talk about just evidence, we're not going to go through all of 1 Corinthians 15, but Paul deals with it there. And if Christ did not come out of the ground, then we of all men, we have no hope at all. And matter of fact, we might as well just live life however we want to live and get all the pleasures we want to get because there's nothing to live for after this old world. But that's not true. Christ did come out of the ground. And your body and my body is going to come out of the ground too. The question is, do you believe that? And will the belief in that affect how you live for God? See, I think there's a lot of people who say they believe in it. And they'll listen to more about it. But it hadn't moved them to where it makes a change in how they live. Resurrection of Christ should make a change in my resurrection. When I come out of the water to become a Christian and I've reenacted his death, burial, and resurrection, then all of a sudden I'm thinking about how do I become more like Christ? So it affects how I live. Mary, some of us are like Mary. We're concerned but confused at the beginning. Some are like Peter and John and early on, they look in the tomb, they see it's empty, and still they don't get it. It takes them a while. But hopefully, we all will move like the disciples did and Mary to a realization that the one who claimed to be God in the flesh was raised out of the grave. You know, I, 
as I read, I, I read this text a lot this week. I, I really had a hard time, I think, trying to figure out, okay, is there a way to outline this and make it a preachery type thing? You know, I, I couldn't figure all that out. I just want to read the story and challenge myself and challenge my brothers and sisters as well as anyone who don't. I want to just challenge. Renew your belief in the power of the resurrection of Christ. For when they went in, where they laid that body, what they would do, they would wrap the body and then they would lay the body there. And once the, it, it was decayed, they would come back and take the bones up and put them in a box and put them in another spot in a tomb. And then they would use that slab where they laid the body again. Like, so that it went on with the whole family might use that one tomb. I just can't imagine what it was like for Mary, who had a deep love for him, to come and all of a sudden there not to be a body in the tomb. You know they had to be confused when they sat there and saw the strips of linen folded up. I mean, did Jesus' body just magically come through them? I mean, did he just come through them and then wrap them up and fold them? I mean, how did that work? I, I don't know. I remember, you remember in the resurrection of Lazarus back in John 11? When he came out of the ground, what did they have to do? They had to unbound him. He was all still wrapped up, just like Jesus was wrapped up. But he couldn't unbound himself. They had to, Jesus gave them the uh, command, unbound him. But he was only raised to die again, right? But one day there'll be a resurrection. Jesus is going to burst through the clouds. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we're going to meet him in the air. Have you ever thought about it? And it's going to happen, he says, in the twinkling of an eye. Boom. Just like that. No man's going to know when it happens. By the way, any of you, if you're sitting there listening to preachers that somehow or another are telling you it's the end of the times, here's the signs, here's the sign for that, here's the sign for this country, here's the sign for that leader, run as far as you can away from that kind of mess. The Bible is clear. No man knows when this is going to happen. No man knows. No man can tell you the times and the signs of the end of time. Don't you believe it one bit. The Bible is clear. No man knows. Why is that so important? Because we live our life every day as if he might come. The difference is, as people in Christ, we live with that expectation that this old world's going to come to an end and the resurrection will take place and we'll be together with the Lord forever. You know what I love about that? I love how our language will change. You'll never hear the word hospital again. We'll never hear the word cancer again. We'll never hear the word heart attack again. We'll never hear those kinds of things in the language of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I get tired of this old world. 
And they get tired sometimes of the fight that it is to, 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 to keep fighting off evil and to keep seeing the terrible things that evil makes happen in this old life. And a part of me wants to say, Lord, come quickly. Just let's get it over. Let's, I'm ready for heaven. But then a part of me says, no, God, not yet. I know a few people I really want in. I really want, my, maybe, maybe it's your kids. They're not there yet. God, God, hold off a little longer. They're not ready. i got a loved one that's not quite there. I want to share the gospel with them this Christmas. God, give me that opportunity. Can you wait? Aren't you glad for the verse where God is not slow concerning his promises? Some men count slowness. He's patient. He desires all men to be saved. He wants people to come to him. And that's our desire too as a church, right? So, here's, here's what I want you to take home with. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. And as we, uh, as we do that, that's always, by the way, a plead from our church family to each other in the church families that we're here to walk through this journey together, right? We need prayers. We need help. Sometimes at the invitation, someone comes and they're baptized into Christ and start all over. That's great. Sometimes it's a renewal of our heart. That's fine. Sometimes it's a confession of sin. You know, if you kind of look at this story, you kind of got all these kinds of responses all wrapped up in the story of the resurrection. Why would a man commit his life to someone like Jesus? Deny himself, take up a cross and fall. Why would a person do that? Because they know, they know that the answer to their heart and their sin is the one that was raised from the dead. And if he came out of the ground, the promise is clear. I'm coming out of the ground too. And that's why it's called gospel. And until that day, he sits at God's right hand to help us in life. We got a sin problem he died for. We got a grave problem, but he, he busted that up by coming out of the ground. And we got a life problem that he continually helps us as he says at God's right hand. And one day he's coming again. And that's all called the gospel. That's why Paul said it's of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15. Because it's the thing that changes our heart and life. Churches that lose their way lose their focus on the gospel. The, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? The gospel is the main thing. The story of God's love for me. The story of his death for my sins. The story of his resurrection that gives me hope. The story of how he ascended to heaven and left his spirit here to help us. And then the fact that in that story one day he's coming again. That's why it's called good news. It's good news because it takes care of all the bad news in our life. Father in heaven, we love you. We're thankful, Father, for the hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus.
Father, I know it's sometimes easy for us to say the words and be so familiar with the story of your son that it doesn't impact our hearts anymore. We never, never want to be like that. I pray, Father, for myself and my church family that we would see the power in the story of the resurrected Lord and that we would move ourselves from fear to faith that you would take us like you did Peter, men who were locked behind the door, scared, and you moved in to be men and women to preach the gospel, to change the world. Father, move us. Move us out of our fears. Move us out of our weaknesses. And turn us into a people that will be bold to share the resurrection story of Jesus to the world. We need your strength and your help. It's in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ that we pray with the help of the Spirit. And the church said, Amen.